Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast, where we believe success can be achieved by small and simple means. Do you have a property that is in rough condition, has tenant issues, or a project that never got finished? Then you need to contact Homelink Properties. This Springfield, Missouri-based company will give you a fair cash offer on your property, completely as is, the same day you reach out. If you're an investor, Homelink Properties can also put your house in front of hundreds of cash buyers so that you too can quickly sell your property. Give them a call today, 417-295-0723. So I'm very excited about today's guest. Uh, He served a two-year church mission in Africa after high school and married his high school sweetheart who also served a two-year mission in Russia. Uh, Her name is Brittany. They have a beautiful little girl that's two years old, and uh, all of which, I guess, even including writing a book, you've done within the last three and a half years. Uh, So without further ado, welcome Mike Bowman. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me on the podcast and everybody listening. Appreciate you being here. So I'm super excited to have you on because um, I've I've read your books. I have been uh, just amazed about your story. And what I love about your story is it's just in line with what our podcast is all about, that the path to success can be achieved by doing the small and simple means or simple things. And uh, your, your story is a perfect example of that. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, what you're currently doing, and then we'll tell the story about how you got to where you are today. Awesome. That sounds like a good plan. So what I'm currently doing today, um, I, I, I guess there's a, there's a daily ritual for everybody, a daily routine. You know, overall, I'm, I'm out for the increase right now. So the increase in you know, money and finances, increase in family relationships, increase in fitness, increase in a better quality of life, much of which is by small and simple things. Um, so every day I do small things and uh, have small habits that help me become better and do better. Um, as far as a daily ritual, maybe we can get into that in a second, but it's all to, for the increase, all to become bigger and better every single day. Perfect. I don't know if you've read, have you ever read the uh, Miracle Morning or Slight Edge or the I, Compound Effect? Yeah, I've read the Slight Edge. I love the Slight Edge. And then there's The Power of Habit by Charles Duhiggy. Yep. That's another one right behind it. Um, the The Morning Book, someone referred that to me and I haven't read it yet. It's but fantastic. Is it a good one? Yeah. And all of these books are actually some in my top 10 favorite books that we just mentioned. So we'll actually probably put a link in the description of those. I think a morning routine is super important because uh, I think it supercharges the day. Like it, it just sets the stage right and you're able to prioritize those things that are most important. And I like some of the things you've already highlighted. You talked about faith, family, fitness, uh, and it f- sounds like finances. Um, and did you, didn't you have a, f- a fifth one? Fun. Well, let's first, let's start by talking about um, what you're currently doing and what that looks like and talk about maybe what wholesaling is and then we'll backtrack to the your story. That sounds perfect. So what I'm currently doing is I guess we'll just go ahead and start with the morning routine. Mornings are very important. Um, I think that, like you said, they can supercharge the day and I wake up at five 30 every morning and almost every morning, except for Sunday, we'll get to the day rest in a second, but five 30 every morning I wake up, uh, I go and I take a dump on the toilet. Uh, so five 30 to six, I'm on the toilet and I also read some scriptures. Um, I say, you know, morning prayers and stuff during that time too. Six to six twenty-five, I actually go back to bed. So I wake up early and I go back to bed for twenty-five minutes. And 
This is because uh, a few years ago I read there was a NASA study that said um, astronauts, the perfect nap for astronauts is 24 minutes. So it's serious because when you're in space and you're on astro NASA's time and you're on the government's dime, I mean, those astronauts need to be as effective as possible. Uh, and this, maybe you could fact check me, maybe it's not even true, but I read it and I believed it that a 24 minute nap is the most effective nap. It's, it's short enough to where you don't go into a sleep cycle, but long enough where you do get some fulfillment. So I wake up, I, you know, use the bathroom, read some scriptures, say my prayers, and then I go back for a 24 minute nap. And after that, I, I wake back up at, at 6.24, 6.25, um, get my running clothes on, and I go out and jog six, sometimes seven miles every morning. Uh, my jog takes about 6.30 to 7.30. Um, so I come back 7.30 to 8. I'm doing stretches, push-ups, push sit-ups, and, and all that good stuff. And then at about 8 o'clock, I jump in the shower, get ready for the day. 8.30 uh, to 10 o'clock, my wife and daughter and I play around the house. And we, you know, jump on the bed, we run around, play with her dolls, my, my, my wife's, not my wife's dolls, but my daughter's dolls. <laughs> and then um, just have good family quality time. 10 o'clock, my day starts with work. And from 10 till about five or six, sometimes seven or eight, depending on the day, um, I am looking at houses, I'm making offers on houses, I help people buy houses, I help people sell houses, I'm a realtor, I'm an investor, I, I buy, I sell, I help other people buy and sell so my days are different. Every single day is different after that 10 a.m. mark. Before the 10 a.m. mark, always the same. After the 10 a.m. mark, always different. And uh, it's all about putting deals together and about you know an increase in finances, making money, whether it's off of flips or commissions or helping other people make money. Uh, that's what I do. And then at nighttime, I have dinner with my family. We hang out, spend quality time, put baby to bed, you know, have a family prayer, and then it starts all over again. I will say that's the same every day of the week except for Sunday. Sunday is is my day of rest, and you know you d you may have a different day of rest. It just depends on the person. I believe everybody needs a day of rest, and Sunday is mine. I sleep until 10 a.m. and then get up and we you know play with my daughter, play with my wife. We run around the house and then you know go to church and family time, and then end up eating most of the day on Sunday. So. That's that's what my day to day is looking like every day. Every day is different, but every morning is the same. So let's talk a little bit too, because right now you currently own 119 uh, apartments. Uh, well, I should say units. Um, how did you get there? Because uh, so people know a little bit of the background story. So you you know right out of high school, you went on a mission. That's a two year mission. So you get back. You're about 20 years old, and right now you're currently 23, right? So you went from being 20 years old to 23, um, and, I, and I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but uh, your, your net worth has significantly increased um, in a matter of basically three and a half years. So let's tell, tell that story. How did you get there? Yeah, it's in the millions, that's for sure. And it's, it's amazing, um, and I feel very blessed. I've worked very hard. Uh, my schedule that I have today is not the schedule that I've always had. Um, in the start, you know, I, like, I've only been going three years. A lot of people have been going longer than I have. But at the start, it was, uh, you know, start work at 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. and get work done at 11 p.m. So it was all day, um, all day work. And now, fortunately, I have a little more control over my schedule. Um, but how I started was 20 years old. I was broke, living in my parents' basement, married. So... <laughs> 
you can picture and it's a good thing we didn't have my wife here today too on the podcast with you but uh living in your in-laws basement which is what my wife was doing for the first six months of marriage i mean that's not a very fun position to be in and even me i i do love my parents and they're great and they've been good to me but at the end of the day when you when you want to become a little more independent and you get married you don't want to be in your parents basement i was in my parents basement for the first six months so until i was 20 and a half and that whole time, I'm, I, I just got my real estate license as a realtor. I helped people buy and sell, you know, got a few commissions here and there. My wife was working full-time at a Plato's Closet, which is a clothes resale shop, like for clothes, it's like boutique or whatever. Um, and she was doing really well there as a manager. And quite honestly, at the start, you know, she was making probably way more than I was as, as a manager at, at a clothes store. And, and I was just scraping by with my commissions as a realtor. That being said, I, I scraped enough money together and I bought myself a 1999 Ford F-250 truck. So if you know trucks at all, maybe you do, maybe you don't. The 1999 Ford F-250 had the coveted 7.3 mm-hmm. liter power, di- or power stroke turbo diesel. You know, it, it's probably the best engine uh, ever um, as far as reliability and towing capability and, you know, longevity. Actually, I, I'm sure that almost every listener has seen one or heard one because they're the ones that are in the school buses. Uh, most school buses that you see have this 7.3 liter turbo diesel Ford engine in it. And anyways, I, I bought this 1999 Ford F-250 uh, just because I, I like the truck. And I decided that uh, I wanted to turn this depreciating asset, this truck, into something that would make me money. I took this 1999 Ford F-250 truck and... I saw, I, I looked and I'd only paid a couple grand for it, but the, I got a good deal. It was probably worth $10,000. So I bought some equity and, and I needed to fix it up too, uh, to get that value. And I did fix it up. Uh, but once I had fixed it up and it was ready to go, I looked on all of the realtor websites and I typed in $30,000 and less. So I live in the Midwest and that's where this podcast is being recorded as the Midwest where we had houses available at that time. Uh, So I took my, my truck that was worth maybe 10 grand and I just started offering it to every single crappy house under $30,000. And (laughs) it it was 30, it was either 29 or 30 houses I had to talk to 29 or 30 sellers that I needed to talk to, or I guess I talked to their, their realtor. Every time I presented, hey, I've got this great truck. It's worth ten, maybe, maybe, maybe fifteen thousand um, dollars. And would you like to trade it for your seller's crappy house? Out of the almost thirty people that I talked to, almost the thirty realtors that I talked to, only two took me seriously. <laughs> and out of the two that took me seriously, only one panned out. And I ended up trading my Ford F two fifty truck for an old uh, fixer upper house and. Once you get my book in the mail, you'll see it. It's on the front cover. Uh, Jake and I are looking at it now in the studio, and the roof is caving in. There were cockroaches everywhere. There, and honestly, when I went to go clean it out, we found multiple, you know, needles and everything. I mean, so it was probably in the roughest neighborhood in Springfield, Missouri. I fixed up the house. I did most of the work myself because I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money to buy a house. I didn't have any money to remodel it. So I was doing all the work myself. And I was buying the materials just with all of my realtor commissions. You know, I make $1,000 here and there on realtor commissions, and I was spending it all 
on remodel materials. A couple months go by and this house is brand new, or at least in my eyes, it was brand new. I put a lot of work <laughs> into it and, uh, and I sold it. So I put on the market, sold it. I was able to make a profit, um, on, on that particular house. I, I had, you know, maybe, maybe 12 or, or 13 or $14,000, um, in the house when it was all said and done and it sold for $28,000. Wow. You know what I really love about this story is it's a, it's a perfect example of taking, uh, you know, people always have excuses for why they can't do something, but here you are thinking outside the box. You apparently it sounds like you didn't have the, the money at the time to even be able to afford a house. So you're thinking outside the box. I've got this truck. You're looking at what you have and how you can get assets. So you traded a, a liability for an asset and then made money off of it. And that was the start of everything. That was a snowball. And what I did with the profits of that first uh, flip was I went out and bought another truck. <laughs> and, and I bought a Toyota Tundra this time. It was a 2007. It was probably about, you know, 10, 10 years old at the time. And I traded that Toyota Tundra for not one, but two crappy houses. So <laughs> I, I turned around and, and did it a second time. I was so, so, so excited that I was able to trade a truck for a house the first time. I made all the effort to do it a second time. And I had to talk to many more people. I, it took, you know, it took months, but I did end up trading that Toyota Tundra for two crappy houses. And I ended up reselling both of those second two crappy houses as is. I resold them. I only owned them for maybe a couple of weeks or a month. And I just resold them as is without any repairs for a profit. That's, that's kind of how the snowball started for me, was trading trucks for houses. After that, I, I was very blessed. I started making more money. I started finding bigger deals, and I ended up um, saving up about 50 grand. And so I had about 50 grand, and at that point, I started doing what's called the BRRRR, which is it, it's an acronym, and you, might have, you may have heard about it, is Buy, Remodel, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. Burr, like you're cold. And um, so I took that 50 grand and I started buying houses for cash with my cash. I started fixing them up. And at the start, it was me. The first handful of deals, I was doing a ton of the work, um, refinancing those houses that I had paid off because I had paid cash for them. And when refinancing, I was able to pay my pay myself back or, in, or have the money back in my account uh, from the mortgage proceeds. And I was able to do it again. And again and again. So I ended up recycling that same $50,000 through 13 houses. And I did it all in the space of about a year. So I was doing wow. over one house a month. People will tell you you're crazy. You're over leveraging yourself. What's your thoughts going through this? I mean, you're just pumping out houses like crazy at this moment. I was. I was definitely over leveraging myself. And everybody that was telling me that, because people were telling me that, were true. I mean, I was taking out as much that the bank would loan me. I was maxing out my loans. So I even had on almost every single one of those 13 houses I that I acquired during that, that process that first year, I was able to pull out more money than what I had invested in the house. You know, and that, that sounds kind of weird. People say, oh, well, don't you need a down payment and stuff? When you're doing a refinance and you own the house free and clear, the bank will loan you 80% usually of what it appraises for. So a lot of times when the bank would get an appraisal and they would say, we'll loan you 80% of it, you know, for easy numbers it appraised for a hundred thousand and we'll give you 80,000. A lot of times I only had maybe $70,000 invested in the whole project. So I was getting an $80,000 loan 
on a house that I only had invested $70,000. So a lot of those deals, I think almost every single one, uh, I was able to borrow money back on top of my original investment. Now that's harder to do these days because fast forward a few years, the market has skyrocketed nationwide and maybe even world, worldwide. Um, now it's harder to do that, but it was more possible before the market got so crazy. And maybe people listening to this a few years down the road will say, oh man, it, it's been crashed for three years now. Now I'm doing that. So, so it, markets change and situations change, uh, but, but right now, you know, it's hard to do that. It, it was easier to do it then. And at, I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking, Jake. No, no, you, you're, you you're, do anything? You're, you're good. So uh, I wanted to highlight because you know you got people got to get the book. The book is fantastic. Yes. It talks about this story, um, and it's called Hustle Then Repeat. And what I love about this story is all the hustling and grinding and willing and dealing that you're doing. And I'm just curious, what do you think has been like the number one principle or the thing, the habit that you've done that's kind of helped propel you through this? I have one in mind that it seems to come to mind when I think about your story. I'm just curious if, if there's something that you can think of that you felt propelled you to get to where you are, to, you are today. I feel like I've been very blessed. And so I attribute all, a lot, all and a lot of my success to a higher power. Mm -hmm. And I believe in, in a God and I believe he's blessed everybody with talents. And this is, this, you know, maybe this is a spiritual podcast, maybe not. But at, at the same time, uh, I don't want to influence anybody per se, but I feel like in my situation... It's been God-given. Um, the situations, the opportunities, the talents. Um, you know, I've been a salesman forever, as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. I, I love buying and selling and trading. So I feel like that's something that's probably been with me since I was a baby. And you know, where did I come from before baby? Anyways, I feel like for me, it's it's faith in the higher power. That being said, you don't get anything for free in this life. <laughs> so I, I I'll tell you that um, I believe in a higher power that gives us opportunities, but I don't believe in a higher power that gives us stuff for free. Yeah. I was, I was about to say, you know, in the Bible, it talks about faith without works is dead. And so you're, you're essentially saying like, yeah, you have faith in this higher power. You may have been blessed with, you know, uh, already, uh, certain talents or, or personality or, or whatever that might help contribute to where you've been today, but you still have to go out and do the hustle. You have to go and do the grinding, um, because you're not going to be rewarded until you after you've put forth that effort. Correct. And so I guess to sum it up, I, I believe that, you know, we are given opportunities uh, and that maybe the best way to phrase it is we're given a hand up, not a hand out. There are so many people these days, and, and I believe it's probably always been this way, that want something given to them for free, whether it's government money or, or healthcare or, or this or that, or there are people that need that assistance mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, but it's better to have a hand up than a hand out. And I believe in that we are all given hand up instead of a hand out. We are given opportunities. So I've had just way too many opportunities like trading a truck for a house, like trading another truck for two houses and, you know, and refinancing all these houses and acquiring assets mm -hmm. and getting into apartment and bigger things. I feel like I've been given the opportunity, but I have also had to do the work. Right. And I've been working mega, mega hours for years. And now just now, the last couple of months, I've been able to take a step back and have, you know, quote unquote, normal schedule. Right. So not only have you like hustled and really put forth the effort and relied, it sounds like on God, um, to be able to accomplish what, what you've done so far, but because I've read the book, I've also, and I, I think we, I think it'd be fun to highlight some of these stories. Cause I think it's just, 
I wish people could, I wish we had the video here just for people to see you. Cause you're a multimillionaire. You're 23 years old. I'm looking at you. You're wearing a, a, a t-shirt and, and basketball shorts, uh, used shoes that, you know, and high socks and his hair's a little bit messy and it's in a bun. And this is what I freaking love about you is cause you just are who you are. And it goes also into this next principle that I want to talk about. Um, because I've seen it from the story in your book is frugality. Um, it seems like you were very frugal with your money to be able to help propel yourself to get to where you're at. Would you share about how you got that ability to be frugal? Um, and maybe some of the stories of what you did, particularly I'm talking about with your wife, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that helped you get where you are today. So these Nikes are fake, Jake. The, the, <laughs> honestly, they're, I'm wearing some Nikes right now and they're, they're fake. They're from Chile uh, because, <laughs> and, and honestly, they're, they're cheaper. I think they were half the price. I, I've always, as long as I can remember, I've been more frugal. So maybe that's sort of that, like, you know, God-given, you know, gift or influence or whatever. Um, everybody likes to spend money, mm -hmm. but I feel like the way I've always spent money, the way I've thought about money for my whole life is I can either spend it on little things throughout the way, or I can save up for one big thing. So you were a little more intentional. Intentional with the spending, mm -hmm. you know, can I, I can go to Sonic every day for a week as a middle schooler. Or I can save up for a few months and buy myself a longboard or you, I can, or an iPod. You do know? you feel like that was taught by your parents or do you just kind of feel like you acquired it somehow? I feel like there was uh, a fair amount of nature versus nurture. So mm. definitely, you know, my, my parents were, were frugal. My dad was a lawyer and he paid his way through school. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember hearing the story. I wasn't alive yet, but when he graduated law school, he bought himself a brand new BMW, but he had been... <laughs> frugal for seven or eight years going through law school or however long the time was. So yeah, I guess that I would say that's part, part family uh -huh. and also, you know, nature versus nurture. I I've always been a little more on the frugal side. And when my wife and I got married, I was all about, you know, saving for what counts. And one of the best stories that comes to mind is for the first six months of Brittany and I's marriage, I didn't let her use AC in her car because I had read somewhere, I read a study saying that it, it uses up more miles per gallon. So you use up more gas, the more AC you use in your car. So for the first six months, I, I had read and it averaged out to, you know, maybe maybe $2.50 per, per tank of gas. So I was maybe saving and maybe having Brittany's car save, you know, two or three bucks a week to not <laughs> use AC. And, and Brittany went with it. I mean, so for the first couple months, she was like, okay. But the summer rolled around. It was really hot. And I remember getting into a fight over it one night. We were at her dad's house. And we left the house. It was very hot outside. And she turned on the AC. And I stopped the car. I was just like, babe, you know, we're saving up money so we can invest into our future. We need to be as frugal as we can. And we get into a, you know, a verbal disagreement. And she gets out of the car and walks back to her dad's house a few streets over. We hadn't quite left the neighborhood yet. Uh, at that point, I was like, I, I honestly thought, I'll just go home, stick it to her, you know? Because <laughs> she's not living the way, you know, she's going to thank me later, blah, blah, blah. You know, when we have all this money and when we do this stuff, it's going to all be worth it. Uh, I Against my current feelings, I turned around and I went back and I picked her up and she was mad and her dad helped us out a little bit, you know, kind of gave a few words of advice. And... We used the AC all the way home that night, but uh, it wasn't until, you know, maybe a few weeks or a few months after that, that we really, I, I just let loose and said, okay, we can use the AC. So 
if you can picture those days, those early days, uh, right when Brittany and I first got married, we were getting into investing, um, or not yet, but we were saving. Uh, we were just, we're eating ramen. We weren't using AC in the car. Um, I mean, we weren't eating out with friends. We weren't going to movies. We weren't buying new, new clothes. We weren't even buying used clothes. We weren't buying headphones. We weren't doing anything. We weren't going on trips. So it was literally like, go to work, come home with your windows down, not your AC, and go to bed and do the thing over and over and over. So we're very, very frugal. I look back and I was totally crazy. That frugality has... It's, it's still in me. You know, I, I can't remember the last time I bought new clothes. I, um, and, and we eat out sometimes now and, and we go on trips sometimes now, but, but it's all within reason. Right. So at the start, very, very frugal, probably intoxicatingly frugal. And, and all my, my friends and family, they still make fun of me for it. Mm -hmm. They say I'm so cheap. We had a family dinner, um, a few weeks ago and they asked me to bring family asked me to bring some chips. So I went to the local expired store <laughs> and, and I got, I got two bags of chips for 99 cents each showed up. And my family was like, Mike, you live in a half million dollar house and you get 99 cent chips. And I was like, Oh, whatever. So, so I, even to this day, it, it's kind of a pick and choose, you know, very frugal. I think that's necessary for you. Mm -hmm. I think that's necessary for everyone. Uh, cause you could make a million dollars this year, but if you spend a million and one dollars, you're still broke. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I love this principle and I, you know, I would, people would say that my wife and I are pretty frugal, but not, I think to that extreme, but I think it's a, a great, uh, ability to be able to be like that. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people too, they're like, you know, they want things, they want this and this, but they're not willing to sacrifice. And I think sacrifice always brings forth those greater blessings and you always have to, uh, sacrifice something, whether it's time, effort, um, or even money, <laughs> like to, to be able to get those things that you hope and dream for. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, so you, you now own an, an apartment complex. Let's talk about how you acquired that. And then, um, we'll dive into a few more questions. Perfect. So I guess we'll touch base. We'll, we'll start off where we were before. Uh, my wife and I traded trucks for houses. We acquired 13 rental properties, uh, single family homes. And at that time, I, I realized I wanted to expand and I found a good deal on a self-storage facility. So I bought a self-storage facility. I added a building to it. Um, and at, at that time, I, I saw one of my friends posted that he bought a, a 32 unit apartment. He posted it on Facebook and I looked at it and I said, oh, I'd be kind of fun to get into apartments. So I sent him a message and said, hey man, just put 50 grand on however much you paid for those apartments and I'll buy them. You know, make 50 grand off me real easy. And he said, Mike, it'd take a whole lot more than that to sell it. So we get back and forth going negotiations. He got a really good deal on it. Um, I made a, a, an offer on it and, and he took my offer after a few months of negotiation. So I end up um, not quite 22 and I have 13 houses, uh, 47 units of self storage and also 32 units of apartments. I guess if we add that up, that's like 100 units or something like yeah. that. It was all uh, very, very stressful. So having uh, uh, 13 houses, uh, 47 unit self-storage and 32 unit apartment complex, I think that's almost about 100 units. Um, I was feeling you know, way over leveraged. And I think you need to be leveraged to become bigger and better and grow. Um, I've heard uh, uh, Trump and Kiyosaki Donald Trump and Robert Kiyosaki both have said that debt is like a loaded gun. You can 
kill yourself or you can protect yourself. So it, <laughs> I, think, I think it's perfect, man. I think it's a perfect way to describe debt because you need debt to get bigger and better to scale, but debt can totally wipe you out if you don't use it correctly. You know, it's cr- crazy. You telling about being over leveraged. It's also the same as like, if you're comfortable, you're not growing and you need to be a little bit uncomfortable for there to be growth. So that's pretty cool. Why, why have you decided real estate? So you've gotten all this real estate, you have an apartment complex. What does the future hold for Mike Bowman? And why have you chosen real estate? What does it mean for you and your family? I chose real estate because of the freedom and flexibility. So I like the freedom of not having to clock in and clock out. I've, I've never had a job. I've never had a real job. I applied, I applied for a job at a battery shop, like a car battery shop in high school. I got the job and I didn't show up because I didn't want to do a nine to five. And I guess at that time it was high school, so it was after school. But I, I've, never, I've never liked working a job per se. And buying and selling is just what I love. And real estate is bigger and better numbers of buying and selling. So I, the way I got into real estate specifically is when I finished my, my ministry trip in Africa that was two years long, I got back on a Thursday. I came back to the United States on a Thursday. And on that Thursday night, my stepdad said, hey, Mike, there's a realtor class next Monday. And I was like, oh, shoot, like in three days? And Brittany hadn't quite finished her ministry yet. She was still in Russia for another month. So I thought, well, what the heck? I'm just waiting on Brittany for a month anyways. Might as well go and do this realtor class and see if it pans out or not. And I took the class, and I've been you know, loving it ever since. And I did have some mentorship and some help from my stepdad because he's also a realtor, and mm-hmm. he's been a realtor for a couple of decades. So he has some contacts and he has some knowledge and he gave me some advice and helped me start out uh-huh. for sure. Uh, but it was him saying, hey, there's, there's this realtor class. There's flexibility. There's freedom. You can make as much as you want. If you work a lot, you'll make a ton. But if you work nothing, you'll make nothing. So I, I got into it because of freedom and flexibility. That's why I chose real estate. I, and because I know that I always love buying and selling. I've always loved it. Right. Um, Maybe to get back really quick, though, to tie up on, on some debt and how I got the 119 units is at, at that time, I was analyzing my finances. I had all these houses, self-storage, and a small apartment, a 32-unit apartment, and I was feeling way over-leveraged. Um, my bank payments were $22,000 a month, wow. and between us, I, I only had $20,000 savings in my bank account, so I was one bad month away from going bankrupt. Right. So I had $20,000 on my bank account and 22000 coming out of my bank account every month. That being said, the mortgages in theory should cover should be covered by the tenant's by the rent. Tenants. But, but were you still pretty stressed out at this time? Very, very stressed out because there are a lot of months where you have people move out, you have to mm. do redo a house or redo an apartment unit, and or you have multiple people don't pay. You have to pay a lawyer to a victim. I mean, there are just so many unforeseen expenses that come when you own investment property. Uh-huh. So for me, I felt I'm one month away from bankruptcy. I'm one bad month where people don't pay or I have a lot of unexpected expenses and I spend my 20,000 in my savings and I'm done. It's yeah. game over. It's game over. It's like you play Monopoly and it's game over. You ran out of money. At that time, uh, I had all this debt. I had all this stress and my bank, my bank account was, was lower for how much debt I had. I had 2 million in debt and I think they say when you have, you're supposed to have about 10% liquidity when you have debt. So to have 2 million in debt, I should have had 200,000 in my account for savings, but I only had 20. 
So I was at like a 0.1 or, or 1% liquidity. That's but crazy. But all things being considered, um, I, I was stressed out. So I analyzed all my investments and I said, what's making me the most money? What's the best you know, net on investment? So I looked at my houses, I looked at the self-storage, and I looked at my apartments, and my apartments were making me the most return on my investment. Mm -hmm. So I sold the self-storage facility, sold the 13 houses, uh, applied all of the profits towards my apartment to get the bank payment even lower, and I was just cash flowing great off of this 32-unit apartment. So mm -hmm. long story short, um, I was under contract, or I had signed a contract to sell my 32-unit apartment. Um, I wasn't finding any replacement properties out there. It was looking like I was going to have to cash out of my sale and pay the tax, which who wants to do that? And, uh, but I guess that's a good problem to have, you know, having to pay taxes. It means you're making money, but <laughs> I, I networked and, and worked so hard driving for dollars, um, talking with people for months to find a replacement property. And finally, after all that time, I was presented with uh, a name and number. Uh, one of my friends said, Hey, here's, here's a name and number, he, he might wanna sell, you can call him. And I called him and I kept calling him and I kept emailing him, I went to his office, I was getting no response. And I went to his office actually and dropped off a copy of both of my books and I gave it to the receptionist and said, where is this guy, I wanna to talk to him. And she said, he doesn't, he's not in the office right now. And I left him my <laughs> books and said, I wanna buy his apartment, give him my books. Um, I left my books there and um, sooner or later I get a, an email back from the seller and the seller said hey I might sell these apartments and one thing led to another I showed up in person and I talked with him for about four hours I brought my daughter and my baby daughter who was one and a half years at the time and she helped me close the deal between <laughs> between my daughter and my books and I told man, this kids sell I, I have used my kids for ads with my pest control business and man, I tell you, they sell, but no, they sell because I told this guy, I said, Hey man, you know, and people were chomping at the bit. Everybody wanted to buy this apartment. It wasn't even for sale yet, but he had made a few phone calls and kind of like how I made a few phone calls on my 32 unit. As soon as people start talking, it gets a feeding frenzy. So in that, um, process of finding a replacement property, I almost gave up because I couldn't find a replacement property and I didn't want to have to pay all the tax. So what I did was I went back to the buyer of my 32 unit apartment and said, Hey man, deal's done. It deals off. I don't want to sell my 32 units anymore. And <laughs> the guy said, and we're good friends now uh -huh. the buyer. I actually sold him two apartment buildings this week uh, on a different deal. But at the time we got a little heat with each other and he said, we've got a contract, Mike. He said, I'll sue you if, if you don't <laughs> fulfill your part of the contract. And I just said, all right, well then sue me. Cause I don't want to sell my 32 units anymore. So I was being a little screwy. I shouldn't have. And cause you need to be honest in your, in your business and everything uh -huh. like that. Um, so let's talk about now the, the numbers of the deal. Let's talk about cash flow and equity. Now you don't even want to know the equity. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's freaking nuts and it's obviously not cash in the account, but it, it it's up there. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's in the millions for sure. Um, it, between our down payment and the equity in the property. And, and that's only going to go up as the rents get better and the property appreciates. As far as the cash flow, um, the cash flow on in a perfect month right now with normal expenses and normal cash flow is about $15,000 a month. Uh, right now we're in the process of kicking out maybe a dozen people. So we're going through a dozen units. Mm -hmm. uh, we're fixing them up, vinyl plank flooring, new cabinets, blah, blah, blah. So this month the cash flow is going to be less than that. 
uh, but on an average month, it's about $15,000 a month. And that's only going up. The total monthly rents on this new facility is $52,000 a month. Gross. Gross, yeah. So, so $52,000 a month gross on this new facility. And the rents are all very low. They need to be about $81,000 a month. Wow. So over the next 12 to 24 months, my first year or two of ownership, the plan is to raise all of the rents, not not too much, but just to the market standard uh-huh. to where it's bringing in $81,000 a month. When that happens, and it's taken a lot of money to get there between kicking people out, raising rents, improving the property to justify these rent increases. Mm-hmm. But once that is done, that the cash flow is going to turn in from $15,000 a month into about $50,000 a month. That, and that's awesome. That's within the next year or two. It'll probably take the full two years, but we're shooting the goal is in 12 months, have everybody at the market rent, have every unit renovated and have a clean cash flowing property. And your plan I'm assuming is probably to just pay this down quickly as possible. You'll be sitting on a pretty little cash cow. That's correct. So um, my loan on the property. So when you do commercial investment loans, you'll see this. There's an amortization schedule, which means what your monthly payment is based off of, how many years it's based off of, and you also have when your interest rate renews. Mm. So commercial loans in real estate are much different than you know residential primary occupant loans. So when you go and get a loan for your house, it's fixed for 30 years, it never changes, the monthly payment's always the same. Um, but on commercial loans, it's, it's amortized or the monthly payment is over at least 25 or 20 years and the interest rate renews every five to 10 years, depending on your banker and your local terms. So my interest rate on this apartment complex renews every 10 years. So it'll pay off in 25 years, but every 10, it renews interest rate. My goal is to, since I locked in a low interest rate, have it paid off by my first renewal, by that 10 year mark. So I'm about nine and a half years away from doing that at this point. But my number one goal right now is buy and sell and hustle as much as possible. So when that 10 year renewal comes up, I don't have a balance on my mortgage. Yeah, that's awesome. Cause then by the time you're 33, which is not too far off from where I'm at, <laughs> you'll, you'll be sitting on a nice cash cow. So that's awesome, man. I really love your story. I, uh, I would like to ask a couple questions and then we'll get right into the final three. Do you have a coach or a mentor that you're, or a mastermind program you're using, um, or uh, some kind of accountability partner to help you propel you to where you are? I have friends. And honestly, most, most of my friends, my best friends are real estate investors, guys like me who are doing the same thing or doing similar things. Right. Uh, not necessarily in business or real estate, but definitely business. So I, I have a few good friends. I have a guy named Randy uh, who taught me how to do the refinance, the Burr method. Um, he's like in his 50s now. He owns millions of dollars of real estate, and he has me over for lunch every now and then, and we just talk shop. Uh, I've got you know a couple of the good friends. You know Roger. Uh, he's a similar situation to Randy. Obviously, my stepdad Rick has helped me out a lot. I ask him questions. Um, so I have I have good friends. And I have a lot of people who are doing the same thing as me and I surround myself with them. Just having that camaraderie with friends helps out a lot. Do I have anybody that I meet with daily or weekly or monthly that keeps me accountable and asks me about my goals? Not really. Mm-hmm. And even my wife is kind of just doing her own thing yeah. when it comes to business. She doesn't come to closings. She doesn't do anything with the rentals. She's, she just you know helps out with everything else besides that. Um, and I am thankful for my wife. I couldn't have done any of this without her. To answer your question, I, I don't have any, anybody specific that holds me accountable really, but I do have lots of friends who are doing what I'm doing and we get together and we help each other. 
Welcome to the final three. Uh, the first question is, is most, what is the most recent book you've read and what's one thing you learned from it? So the most recent book I read is the same book I read every morning. Uh, it's the Book of Mormon. Uh, it, it's a book that was written by God and through his servants. And it contains a lot of successful things in there. Um, I started reading it uh, when I was 15 years old and I'm 23. So probably eight years I've been reading it. I've read it again and again and again. I've probably read it over a dozen times. Uh, I love it. You know, little things compounded over time turn into big things. That that reverts me to probably one of my other favorite books. It's very, very high on the list. Probably number two or number three is The Slight Edge by yep. Jeff Olson. I actually read that while I was a minister in Africa. It, I, I stumbled upon it and I read it and I loved it because every single day, you know, the small things you do are either working for you or they're working against you. So I love, love, love that small things are steadily pushing you towards where you want to go or away from where you really want to go. Uh, question number two, what is one principle you strive to live your life by? Discipline. Daily habits and routines that bring success. I'm starting to see a theme here. <laughs> it's discipline, man. It, it, it's, it's all the same, right? The, it's consistently doing the small things on a daily basis that's going to lead to those big results. Because over time, you might not see uh, much increase or anything happening then all of a sudden it hits that growth curve and all of a sudden you're like bam whoa where did that come from and that's where you, you hear people talking about overnight success stories is because such my minute little things led to great things so that's cool well i i would just add that i'm i've had uh, multiple people reach out to me uh when i bought these 119 units uh recently and they've said hey mike you know how'd you do it you know did you have a partner blah, blah, blah. You know, who's your partner? And I've had multiple people just say like, all right, so who put up the money for it, Mike? <laughs> and like, did you yep. really do that by yourself? And I'm just like, yeah. I mean, look, look on the deed. Look, look at everything. It's me. And obviously my wife and my baby daughter. Right. I, I, I joke with people. I say, I have two partners and they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I say, <laughs> my wife and my baby daughter, you know? <laughs> so it, it uh, which they are, but but anyways, I, those small daily disciplines make all the difference. And I think that for some people, they might see an overnight success, but what they don't see is the person who's been working behind that success for three, four, five, ten mm -hmm. years. Cool. So quick, last question. What is one of the greatest pieces of advice you've been given? You make your money when you buy. That's it. I mean, the, the best, this is probably the best uh, advice in business or in career is that you make your money when you buy. If you buy something cheap enough, you can always make a profit. If you overpay for something today, you overpaid and that's it. It's done. Uh -huh. So it's going to be very hard for you to, to get out of that situation unless someone else overpays to you, which <laughs> may not happen. So I would definitely say that you make your money when you buy. And that's a piece of advice that's been given to me by multiple of my mentors and friends that if you can negotiate, if you can get the price up front, you can't lose. Yeah. You, you remind me so much of Grant Cardone and he says in a different way, he says, sell or be sold. And it's, you know, it's the same principle, but I, I love it. Um, where can people find out more about you, Mike? People can find out more about me on uh, Facebook. On, probably the best place is Amazon and my books. So I've got two books uh, published on Amazon right now. Hustle Then Repeat is number one. And the D's of the deal, situations that could lead you to a better deal, is number two. And... I actually co-authored a third book called 2020 Silver Linings, and it's all about positivity and, and getting what you need out of life. 
and I have a fourth book on the way that I just finished up the rough draft yesterday, and I sent it to my editor yesterday. It's called The Five F's of Life. The five's F's as in, you know, fatality or, or you know, all that F. The five F's of life are faith, finance, fitness, family, and fun. So those five F's, I believe, are five principles that will bring you success and fulfillment in everything that you try to do, whether it's business or family, whatever you try to do, if you include those five F's, if you have you know faith, fun, fitness, family, and finance, then you'll be okay. Perfect. And we'll put a link to all this stuff uh, down in the description. So if anybody wants to check out your books, uh, find out more about you, they can do that. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. It's been su such a pleasure to have you on and for you to share your story. I think it's such an inspiring story. I remember uh, when I told you I read the book on the airplane uh, about your story, I was like hyped. I mean, I was so hyped and I was kind of bummed because I was going out uh, elk hunting and, and then spending time with family. And, and I love that. But I was like so pumped up after reading your book that I wanted to not do that to come back and get to work. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, Jake. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, appreciate the.